What, 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 what were they doing in the cellar anyway? You know what kids do today, I guess. Smoking dope, messing around. Hi, Hello and welcome back to another episode of From Dust Till Dawn. I am your host, Don Lahi. Lahi, Lahi, Lahi. This is a horror movie review podcast where we like to review horror movies. The way that we choose our horror movies is that we go to a horror movie generator. We hit generate. It gives us a movie. We watch it. We review it. We pot it. This week's horror movie that the generator was kind enough to give us was 1983's Psycho 2. Now, when they have the two, like, what is it, like Roman numerals? No, because then that's... Yeah, maybe, but it's just the two, it's like the two capital I's for two. Does that mean that it's part two, or does that just mean two? I think two. Anyway, this was directed by Richard Franklin. IMDb gave it a 6.6, and Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 61%. Pretty close, pretty close numbers. The plot to this movie reads, After 22 years of psychiatric care, Norman Bates attempts to return to a life of solitude. But the specters of his crimes and his mother continue to haunt him. Okay, yeah. 22 years after killing people, pleaded insanity, not guilty by the verdict of insanity, I think is what it's called. Uh, The first line to this movie is, Mother, oh God, mother, blood. Blood! So it's also taken from the first movie because we start off it's not necessarily a recap but it's just showing the most famous scene from the first movie that was about 22 23 years before this came out uh the first psycho uh came out in 1960 directed by alfred hitchcock if you haven't seen that movie if you don't know the twist this episode will spoil your um, enjoyment of watching the very first Psycho. Yeah, so this movie was um, not as bad as I was expecting it to be. I was very curious in how they were going to get everything set up again, how, you know, who the killer was going to be, because the first one, it you know, it just kind of, like, that's that's a one one-stop shop. You get everything you want in the first Psycho. You don't need anything else. But, you know, gravy train, baby. Just like kind of like Halloween. They wanted Halloween, 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween. They wanted that to be just one. That's it. It ends off. But, you know, money train, gravy train, the green. It's not green where I'm from, but. I don't know what color it is. Brown. There's brown, reds, blues, a bunch of different colors of money. Why does America only have one color of money? Anyway, I believe it's ADR is what it's called. It's when you film a scene and then you go off into a studio and you re-record your audio for your for um, what what you're saying. And it was so obvious that it was someone else in another room. It was the same person, but they were in another room, not connecting with the scene whatsoever. It was very weird. 
which brings me to my next part. The dialogue and the writing seemed so amateur. They had 22 mo- they had 22 years to kind of get this going and this is kind of what pops up. I I was it was very very corny, very on the nose. Um everything was being spoon-fed to you. It was like bad student film. It looked great. It was shot really well. And there were some intense scenes, uh, but the writing just seemed not good. It it wasn't... The plot was okay, but just how they were delivering their lines, I was like, yeah, how do you say that without sounding like a goober? I don't know. It is kind of cool to see how Norman would have lived in that house, because in the first Psycho, you don't necessarily get to go in the house on the top of the hill a lot. And I feel like this was a good kind of look into what life would have been like to Norman at this house, kind of hearing his mom talk in other rooms and responding back and just kind of like the craziness of it, uh, the psycho of it all. Uh, So I I did enjoy that. Like it it was kind of almost like a, not a prequel, but you would see how he would have lived uh, because he does still hear his mother. Yeah. Like I said, the bad acting, the weird robotic dialogue, it was, it was, it was bad, but this was like a pretty good whodunit uh, until the end. Like I was invested because I was curious in, okay, well, can't be that person because they were over there when that was happening. And, you know, like they were setting it up like that, but then it just got really confusing by the end where I was like, wait, so was it this person? Because it couldn't be because they were, you know, at the hotel when that was happening somewhere else. And you know what I mean? They were trying to really weave you through this and, 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 and you did get kind of caught, caught up here and there. One shocking thing about this is that there was so many good kills, so much, I wouldn't call it gore, but the special effects on this, the kills were awesome. Like for a 1983 movie, this was really good. Uh, It was rated R and it should be um, because the kills were kind of gruesome. I do like uh, how the movie started off with the title card that, the font of the title card was what the original books font looked like uh, because in the uh, 1960 version of psycho, he didn't use that font. So I really like that. They brought that Bates is uh, released by the court and they think that the best place for him to be is the hotel where all this happened. I'm not a psychiatrist, but that seems like a bad idea. And I'm sure they went through some scripts where they were like, no, we're not going to bring him back to the hotel. We'll do this whole story somewhere else and it will unfold this way still. But uh, yeah, they brought him back and he first thing he does is he walks up the stairs and he's like, I just saw someone in the window. Norman Bates says this. Uh, Norman Bates is played by Anthony Perkins, who played in the original. And he's with his doctor, Dr. Raymond, who is played by Robert uh, Logia. And that should be a first red flag. There's so many red flags where it's just like, this guy shouldn't be here. Uh, And that was the first red flag where he's like, I just saw someone in the window. And the doctor kind of chuckles 
and says, you know, you're probably just stressed. And it's just like, no, he's one. He's a murderer. Even he, even though he pleaded, uh, pleaded guilty by insanity or whatever, that should be a red flag. The doctor should be like, okay, maybe this isn't a good idea, buddy. Hey, Norman, let's get the hell out of here. They give him a job at the diner and they really encapsulate. They, they really show what it feels like to be on in a new job and the, the kind of anxiety that goes behind it. So, uh, I, I did feel the anxiety when he was uh, starting at his at his new job at, at the diner. We meet a couple a couple characters there. Mrs. Spool, played by Claudia uh, Breyer, uh, and uh, Stat Statler, played by Robert Allen Brown. Uh, he's not really at the diner for that long. He quits and just wants to run the uh, the motel because there's a guy named Toomey, played by. Dennis Franz, who he's in, he's in, uh, he's in a bunch of films and TV shows. Um, he is in uh, NYPD Blue. He's in Dress to Kill. He's in Die Hard Two. It's one of those names that you hear, you don't know exactly who they are, but then when you see your face, you're like, oh, it's that guy. I like that guy. And then we meet Mary, who is played by Meg Tilly. And immediately she breaks a plate and Norman takes the blame for it. And then at the end of their shift, she's a complete dickhead to him. And it's a little wild. She's always on the phone with her boyfriend. And then you realize that that it's not her boyfriend by the end. But we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, And it was like a bit of like a, you know, twist by the end when you find out who's actually on the phone. Uh, but they don't ever really bring it up. They don't do any like flashbacks of 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 what's going on. Um, Norman then offers her a room and in in her in his hotel because she got kicked out of her boyfriend's room. Uh, and he's immediately a creep. Uh, he's telling her, "Do as I say." And it's pretty wild that uh, no one's like kind of being like, "Oh yeah, I used to kill people." So maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't do as you say, because you might eat my liver. Um, so like the first one, he makes her a sandwich. There's so many callbacks to the first one. Uh, she Then there's this weird thing where she goes, uh, can you cut it in half? And he, he's like, I don't have any knives. And then she's like, oh, oh, okay. And then just gets up and finds a knife. Instead of cutting it herself, because she's a human being with a wrist, she just hands him the knife and kind of goes, cut my fucking sandwich, bitch. Well, she doesn't say that, but how she hands him the knife, she's... Now, I see what she's trying to do because of the ending. I don't know if I really want to bring up the ending right now. She might be in cahoots with some people, uh, but they're... Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, he's really trying to get Mary to stay with him, uh, and it kind of gives me the ick. He's he's like the pick me guy, and it's uh, a little weird. It's it's kind of creeping me out. But it's Norman Bates. What are you gonna do? There couldn't be any more red flags with how how uh, N- Norman is kind of still down to kill people. He's seeing visions that aren't there. He had Mary over. She takes a shower, and he starts uh, playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, which. If you're ever on a date and then you 
go to the bathroom and you come back and your date is playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, I would probably call the cops. I don't know. Run out the front door. Because that's a pretty scary song to be playing. So there's a bit of a confuffle with uh, Norman Bates and Toomey. And that's kind of the, the, the setup. And then Toomey gets killed. We never see the killer's face. We don't see that it's Norman Bates. And Toomey's death is fucking great. It was shot. It was a knife in the face. And, there, and that's not the only time that you get a knife in the face in this movie. It was, it was good. It, it shocked me. Like, I was, for the lack of, you know, acting and uh, delivery on the lines, it was really refreshing to kind of be like, holy shit, that looked painful and real and yikes. At this point, there's a bunch of red herrings going on, and there's someone moving around in the house in a lady's dress. So the mystery is there. And it's uh, and it's got you thinking. It's who could that be? Because if they're there, if this person's there, and then you know, I immediately thought that it was the doctor doing it, and like the doctor might have had something to do with it. But spoiler, it's not. And yeah, it just every time you saw this person, you 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 were always thinking it's someone different, someone different. Uh, because every character kind of has every character that you meet in this does have like a good amount of kind of face to face like interaction with him. So it could be anyone, even if you meet them for like five minutes, you are still thinking back to, oh, yeah, that person in the diner. Hmm. It could be them. It definitely could be them. And then we find out that Mary, played by Meg Tilly and her mother, Vera Miles, uh, who plays uh, Lilla. Uh, who in Vera Miles is in the very first one. She played uh, Lila. Oh, Lila, sorry. Lila Crane. Uh, Now she's known as Lila Loomis. Their mother and daughter, and Mary set up Norman. So now the reason why she gave him the knife is to kind of try to, you know, trigger him and get him kind of pissed and go back to his roots of wanting to stab people in the shower. Um, but they want to set him up pretty much to send him back to jail because he killed, he killed her friends and her family. So I get it. The toilet filling up with blood was gruesome. Like it looked scary. It looked like a bad dream. So I enjoyed the shock of that. Norman is convinced that uh, his mother is still alive. So the doctor that treated him for 22 years goes and has his mother dug up and shown to him that she's in there. This doctor sucks. And this is when I started thinking, oh, maybe the the killer is the doctor, because who the fuck does that? Especially to a patient of yours who who has mommy issues. You're going to show your patient of 22 years that killed a bunch of people? Like, and I don't think you can just dig up bodies. They had like a excavation team there. Like it wasn't like they like went there in like the middle of the night with like wolves howling and stuff. But what the fuck? Not not a good doctor. Not a doctor I would appreciate. Then the mom, uh, Vera Miles, her death is epic. Did not expect this kind of death out of this movie. Like 
for for 1983 i was like holy shit like it was it was uh it was shocking it was really shocking so um knife to the mouth right in the mouth go watch it it's it's not bad you'll laugh at the dialogue and you'll cringe at the death so norman is slipping a little bit um into madness and kind of throws a wrench and stuff because i'm like oh maybe he's maybe he is redoing what he did before and he's dressing up and killing people as his mother uh and and it kind of is is another red herring there's red herring after red herring after red herring because when the when um lila and mary uh the mom and the daughter who are kind of trying to set norman bates up they have like a meeting and they're like, why did you do, why did you um, stuff the toilet with bloody towels? And they're like, I didn't do that. And then they're like, well, I didn't do that either. So you're thinking, oh, okay, well, someone else is, is doing this stuff. And you're like, okay, well, it might be Norman. It might be the doctor. It might be the the sheriff. It might be like anyone. And it started getting a little confusing with, okay, more and more people are dying through this. So how, how does this continue to happen? Because at this point, about an hour and 30 minutes in this movie was an hour and 50 minutes. I was like, Hey, Norman can't be the killer here. He's the victim. Um, so it, it was just a little, it was just a little weird. And then by like, when we had like five, like 10 to five minutes left, they wrapped it up super, super quick. Mary becomes more active as dressing up as the mom to try to scare him, to get him to resort back. Um, just a little weird. And then we meet who the real killer is. Uh, and it was Miss Spool, the, the diner owner. And it was his real mother. And she... Literally, it's the end of the movie. She walks up, she goes, and she says, "Yeah, I gave you up for adoption. I was too young when I had you. I gave you, I gave you to Mrs. Bates, and blah blah blah." It's just there was no like emotion in it. It was very dry, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a weird way to end end it off. But I don't know. It kind of reminded me of like Friday the 13th, the very first one, spoiler, uh, when it's it's Mrs. Voorhees, um, the killer. Like, we never saw her, and it was kind of a cheap out to be like, because that was a whodunit, uh, and then they just pop up at the end. So, like, all the suspense and, like, red herrings and kind of the whodunit part of it almost gets thrown out the window, and it's just like, oh, someone who we barely met um even though we you don't meet mrs Voorhees at all we see her hands i guess uh but it was kind of weird that it was mrs spool you, you did kind of get the vibe when he went to the diner she went i wanted you to work here i wanted i was the one who kind of planned this out so and then she was like when people started you know, getting 
too close to you and started trying to pretty much fuck with you, I needed to step in and take them out one by one. Um, so I guess that kind of made sense in a way. I didn't necessarily enjoy that twist of it. Uh, there was a part of like there, there was a part of me that was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. But just how she came in and just flat out was like, yep, I'm your real mom. Gave you up for adoption. Gave you to Nor. Uh, gave you to Mrs. Bates, and you're. I love you so much. And it's just like, well, where were you? So I don't know. A little wild, but yeah. Let's rate this. Uh, on this podcast, we like to rate our films with Don's dollars. One dollar being the least amount of money that we'd spend to go see in a movie theater. Ten being the most amount of money that we'd go spend in a movie theater, and. Uh, I'm going to give this Psycho 2, 23 years after the first movie came out. Little weird dialogue, great kills, a good whodunit minus whodunit. Uh, um, I'm going to give this, uh, I'm going to go $3. Uh, it wasn't terrible. I was I was paying attention. I was glued. A little long. They kept recycling things. Um, like I said, the writing wasn't, you know, top notch, but it was uh, interesting to be back at the the Bates Motel, and I really liked the first one. I was really interested in seeing where this was going to go, and it went somewhere, and I wasn't terribly mad at it. So yeah, that's uh, I'm going to give it three dollars. Three three dollars would be good to spend to go see this one hour and 52 minute. Like I, I, if you listen to the podcast, you know, that's way too long of a movie, especially because they just kept recycling and recycling and recycling and recycling the same idea. And it was a little, a little bogus here and there, but what are you going to do? Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate everyone's support. Uh, Go follow from dust till dawn podcast on Instagram. I love ya. And if you want your sandwich cut in half, do it your fucking self. Love ya.